so good to us. You give us the spirit and the breath and the energy to give you praise. You put that within us so that we can shout forth your great name, proclaim your glory, and give you praise. And in the midst of it, we pray that as we live our lives, as we others will see your greatness and come to Jesus Christ. Lord, we just ask your blessing to uh, allow us to worship you in spirit and in truth today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we have a, let's see, do I have it? I have it. A um, little blue uh, connection card. And so we would love to 
have you fill that out, especially if maybe if you're a first or second time guest with us. We'd love to know who you are and how we can minister to you. If you need any more information about the church, we'd be happy to provide that. So please fill that out. You can put it in the offering plate or take it to the uh, connection uh, center after church, and they'll be happy to take it uh, there. We also have some prayer request cards, and of course those are available for everybody, and the pastor and staff will be faithful to pray for those. And if you ask uh, to, to put it on our weekly uh, prayer list, we'll, we'll be happy to put it on there as well so our Wednesday night prayer group can uh, pray for that. All right? So please, please do that. Well, I, I saw some... Uh, I saw some red as I was walking around the church today, and so apparently there's uh, something going on special. Um, what is, is it? 57 years ago, they started this thing called the Super Bowl. Um, so <laughs> Valentine's Day, yeah, it's that too. Uh, so, so you know, huge, hugely important things, right? Have you ever heard the phrase? You know, well, that's the Super Bowl of whatever, you know, because it's such a, it's like the apex, the pinnacle, uh, you know, it's, it's such important, such a, a high honor. And uh, this song, this next song we're going to do fits in that category. This is, this is a Super Bowl song of hymns, uh, the one that Martin Luther wrote over 500 years ago, and it applies so well in spiritual warfare. Let's sing it together. A mighty fortress is our God.
Amen. Amen. Let's sing another great song about warfare. It reminds us, gives us the command. Church, we're in a battle. Arise, arise, and take on that armor of Christ and fight that battle. Right. 
I got to confess, at worship practice this morning, that last verse, uh, as saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of his grace, got me a little choked up. Um, how many know of moms, dads, grandparents that live the, the Christian life well, and they are with Jesus now? And, and I, don't, I don't, Brother Philip, you'll have to tell me, I, I'm, I'm not sure they know what's going on on earth down here. We'll have to make, that's another discussion. But if they did, couldn't you see them just sort of elbowing each other and go, if those youngsters only knew what I know? Amen? The, the, the war has been won. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we just come before you now, and we just want to honor you in, uh, in our giving, our tithes and offerings. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, making this church such a generous uh, body of believers, and we just give you praise, and we don't take that for granted. We know that um, everything that uh, we have is, is very precious to us, and uh, it, it's hard to give it away, but Lord, we... Uh, we know that when we give, we're only giving what you've blessed us with and, and what you require of us. And so, Lord, help us to be obedient in that. Help us to even be, as your word says, joyful in that. And, uh, and we thank you that we have so many who follow that pattern. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. Uh, we've sort of chosen this as a theme song for our spiritual warfare. And so let's sing uh, The Battle Belongs to the Lord.
seated. Battle belongs to the Lord. So the question then is, why, why all this work? Why all this stress? Why all these battles? Why all these wars? Why all these trials? Because there's going to be a prize. Amen. Paul says to Timothy, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. There will be a prize in heaven someday, and we will go there, those that know the Lord. Uh, just worship with us as we sing this great old... Uh, Southern Gospel Hymn on the Banks of the Promised Land. There's a song of praise 
that is lifted there by the saints and the angel band. And I long to go and to join the choir on the banks of the
I would have been just fine if the rapture would have taken place right then. Amen. Good stuff. All right, Ephesians 6, verse 10. The Bible says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Tony Marita, in his commentary on Ephesians, opens up by talking about various responses that might be out there when you read a text like this, especially beginning in verse 12, when we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and he kind of gives three categories of people and their responses and he said some people will be I love this it's like give me the Braveheart movies right there are others who will look at this and say this is antiquated and ridiculous this is ancient weaponry and nowadays we have drones and whatever else out there and then the third would be people who say if you believe like this you're just a fanatic as a matter of fact you're not enlightened because the real problems are only psychological problems and social problems so we know that there's no way that this could be a reality as we arrive at this particular description of the warfare that we're engaged in as the people of God I want to call your attention to a statement made by Charles Hodge 100 years ago. Here's what he says. This is no figure of speech. It is something real and it is something arduous. To define that word arduous, it means something that requires strenuous effort. What this text is about is something that is difficult and real. So I say that to remind you that don't forget, okay, when you look at something like that, you're thinking, wow, this is deep and this is difficult. These are powers and authorities. Don't forget the text of Scripture. Finally, my brethren, or finally, be strong in the Lord. Do you remember? That's the first command in the text. And how are we to be strong in the Lord? In the power of His great might. And so as we go through this portion of text of the text, don't lose sight of the first command. Be strong in the Lord. Remember the connection. What is the connection to the power of his might? Well, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Toward those who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ. So the focal point of the strength of his might is the power that worked in Christ. And what did he do in Christ? He raised him from the dead. 
seated him at the right hand of the heav- in the heavenly places. Far above all rule, listen, far above all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Don't forget the connection, okay? The Lord's power, the power of the Lord's might was demonstrated most prominently in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his enthronement, and ultimately in the exaltation of Christ. So he's telling you and me, be strong in the Lord, be strong in the resurrected, ascended, enthroned Christ. The second command is to put on the full armor of God. And we learn that that's nothing less than applying and appropriating the resources that are already yours if you are saved. It's also to apply your new life in Christ to the way you think and the way that you live. In the midst of that, this text encourages us to have a wartime mentality. As you're called to think differently and live differently, you're also reminded that we're in a war. Okay, So, we are specifically to rely on what God has supplied in us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11 tells us why we're putting the armor on. So we can stand against the schemes of the enemy. That's what we talked about last week. The goal in putting on the armor is to do what? It is to stand. It is to resist the assaults of the enemy. You are not to be moved, but to stand firm. We're standing, what are we standing against? Again, the schemes of the devil And when you have someone who is a liar from the beginning, that's what Jesus said about him, then I can guarantee you that you will never be able in your lifetime to exhaust all of his schemes. He's scheming against us. So what did we do? We studied his character. We studied his nature. We talked about the general way in which he strategizes against the people of God. And what's his goal? It's not to get you just to sin once. We get that's that's an affront to the holiness of God, even one sin. However, when he's trying to lie to you and deceive you and persuade you to commit sin, it's, it's, a, it's a small part of a larger plan. The larger part of the plan is to get you to deny your profession and confession in the Lord Jesus Christ. His goal is for you to lose confidence in Jesus. His goal is for you not to stand in Christ, but to fall. Today, we address the nature of our warfare. Remember how we did the outline? The first point is be strong in the Lord. The second is put on the full armor of God. And then we had the subpoints there. The enemy is scheming against us. That's the first one. Today we're going to deal with we need to, we, the battle is spiritual. Our battle is spiritual. In your bulletin, it's a Roman numeral one, but in our outline, it's subpoint two of Roman numeral two. Okay? Remember that outline? Next week, we'll put that back up for you. But our battle is spiritual. We're going to deal with it. And then second today, we're going to talk about we need to stand in the evil day. We need to stand firm in the evil day. Okay. Paul gives it in a negative expression first. Our battle is spiritual. Listen to how he says it. For we do not struggle. We do not wrestle. Our conflict is not against flesh and blood. That's the negative. 
The Greek actually says blood and flesh. Do y'all know that? But it does. It says blood and flesh. It's okay to say flesh and blood. But that's the negative expression he gives. Notice he says, notice what Paul says. For we do not wrestle. Our struggle in the grammar. We, plural. Do you think Paul is standing aloof from the struggle? Is this everyone's struggle? Yes, so think about this. He's reminding us. Paul is saying, I identify with every believer that has ever known the Lord that we are in a struggle. Those of us who are Christians and live between the times, meaning that you are living between the time Christ resurrected and was exalted to heaven and the time he comes back. We're living in between the times. And for all of us living in between the times, we all have a struggle. It's not just for people we think about who have a testimony that in the past they were very bad people. So they must have a struggle, right? Or if the person's been to prison, then it was their struggle, but it's not mine. Or if they just have a nasty background. Now, folks, put that aside. This struggle is for all of God's people, always in all spheres. You could have been brought up in a Christian home. You could have had wonderful Christian parents. You could have been isolated from much of the wickedness of this world. And yet your struggle is still not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual war. So, the word struggle is an athletic word. I thought this week as I was studying through this, I said, everything has been military. Are y'all awake? Everything about this text has been metaphorically aligned with military. And then all of a sudden, we have an athletic word. The language permeated with military metaphors. And yet, Paul comes down to this conflict and he calls it wrestling or uses the sport of wrestling. Now, folks, this is not WWF. You laugh because you watch that nasty stuff, right? So, that's another sermon probably. But, but this is authentic, athletic wrestling. Did this relate to the Ephesians? Would they have jihad? Would they have thought about this and it just meshed with their culture and character and mind? Did, did this fit with what they knew in their culture? Well, absolutely it did. It was a sport that was extremely popular throughout Greco-Roman, the Greco-Roman world. You think the Super Bowl's big in our day? Comparably, you would have had wrestling. You would have had people coming to this popular event. Just as popular as any other sport in Paul's day. Why does Paul use an athletic metaphor during a military context of warfare? I think there's something obvious here that we need to think about. When you wrestle, your opponent's sweat is going to be all over you. Yeah, you ever wrestle when you were a kid? Now, I'm, I was never on the wrestling team for high school. We didn't even have one, I don't think, when I was going through high school. If we did, not many people wrestled. But did we wrestle as children? You better believe it. We would try each other, and it was just sometimes it would be 30 minutes, an hour. Sometimes we would wrestle and wrestle and wrestle. Here's what I know. 
your opponent's sweat is going to be all over you. It happens. Why? Well, it, it is definitely perspiration times two. Isn't it? You're grappling. And there's a closeness with your opponent. It's unlike anything else you can ever do. Paul uses the image to depict that this warfare, this struggle, is in close quarters. And it's hand-to-hand combat. It's right up close. It's personal. It's not firing computer-guided missiles. It's eyeball to eyeball and it's skin to skin and it's hand to hand and it's a struggle. It's the kind of battle that is as close to you as wrestling an opponent. He is not an enemy that is separated from you by a valley or two. It's not an enemy that's standing across from you in a line with a good hundred yards in between. This is a battle that's always going to be there and the opponent is very close and personal. He's right there face to face with his sweat mingling with yours. And Paul tells us that our struggle is not with flesh and blood. Our hand-to-hand struggle is not with human beings. This warfare that we have is not against people. Furthermore, it's not against the weak and frail part of humanity. It's against what the text says it is against that we're going to see in a few moments. So this is not to say... That our enemies do not use instruments of flesh and blood. Because some of you are thinking, I know who I had it out with this morning. And he was standing there in front of me and he's flesh and blood. Right? Well, we know that the enemy uses that because chapter 4 verse 14 will say it like this to us. Just listen. So that we may, not, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by, by waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine by human Cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So we would certainly say uh, that it, it reminds us of the reality that enemy, the enemies, our enemies, demonic forces can use people. But your ultimate wrestling match is not against them, but against the enemy. It's not against flesh and blood. Now, Paul's going to give this description. Of what we wrestle with or against. It's not against flesh and blood. But here's the the warfare. And he gives four of these. You see them in the text? Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces. Now, scholars are divided on what this means. And some think that what you have is hierarchical structures of spiritual warfare. In other words, at this level, you've got rulers and you've got authorities, or maybe it's um, descending or ascending order of, of how these rascals work, how the enemy works. In other words, there are people who talk about territorial spirits. And if there is such a thing, there's one sitting at the president's death in Washington, D.C. If there is such a thing, but I... Certainly, Daniel speaks of an understanding, right? We looked at that when we preached through Daniel. But here's the deal. There are people who believe that it's all mapped out with their powers. And this group does this, and this group does this. In other words, this is a job description for demons. So, I don't agree with that, okay? Uh, I believe that the terms are corporate in nature and... 
It's the same reality that all of them are speaking toward. I think any attempt to rank them would be pure speculation. And if Paul is giving titles for ranking them, we don't have anything in the Bible that establishes it other than this. And that's dangerous to to go off half-cocked and think that's what's going on. We can't establish that Archaeus, Greek word for rulers, has higher authority than exousias, which is authorities. So the emphasis here, I believe, you need to think about the day-to-day struggle that every believer has, and that struggle involves us as individuals, and that requires you individually to be prepared. Okay? I don't think the terms are given to give us more insight into the demonic realm. I think it seems to be terminology that is brought from a reservoir of language that would have been employed during the first century to talk about demonic warfare. I think they would have thrown these titles around to help us understand. Why why would Paul use these terms, though? Well, I think it's because of a persuasive effect. I think he's trying to wake us up. Wake us up to the reality that although you are saved, the battle is not over. Right? So the struggle continues, and there are many spirits intent on bringing about your demise. So, let's briefly look at them. Are you ready? Okay. The first term is rulers, archaeus. And in the plural form, it is used of Jewish authorities. Remember these? The Sanhedrin, right? That's the, that's the terminology. So Paul will even use it to describe Satan himself in the singular form in chapter 2, verse 2. You remember way back over there when it says he is the prince of the power. There, there's the word, archaeus, ruler. He's the prince of the power of the air. The next term is authorities. And every time Paul uses authorities, it's always in connection with rulers. Interesting, right? Ephesians 1.21 and Ephesians 3.10. They're always linked together and it always denotes evil spirits. The third word is world powers. This text says cosmic powers. It is the Greek word kosmokratopos. Do you hear cosmos? Kids, what's that mean? World, right? So the real translation is world powers. So, interesting. Do you all know how many times this word is used in the New Testament Greek? One time. Here it is. One time in the New Testament Greek, world powers is used. Now, in the 2nd and 3rd century, in extra-biblical Greek... What's that mean? Stuff outside of the Greek New Testament that was written. It often referred to planets. It referred to controlling deities that they believed in, such as Zeus and Helios. And finally, it became known, most acquainted with the emperor. Okay? So, again, that's extra biblical. But in this particular context, it is world powers. Now, how many of you remember the background of Ephesus? Wave at me if you do. Can you stand up and tell me about it, right? What was the background? Well, Paul comes in and preaches. Why? Because he's taken the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he comes into Ephesus, and as was his custom, he goes into the synagogue, he begins to preach the gospel, and guess what happens? A riot takes place. But in the midst of that, what does he do? He's preaching the gospel in Ephesus, 
And there's a fortune teller that he comes in contact, a contact with, and she's demonically driven, and she's given some PR for the gospel message, but Paul gets annoyed with her. And so the Lord, through Paul, cast a demon out of her, and guess what happened to everybody in the community? They're ticked because she was their source of income. Right? Money moves the world. And they're irritated because Paul is impinging upon their profits. Why? Because the occult is big business. So they get all the city in in an uproar. And listen, for three solid hours, the people do not cease to chant, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Can y'all imagine? Now you think it's going to be really good to chant, Go Chiefs tonight. But can you imagine standing in a place, having just given out the gospel, and for three hours you stand there and hear, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So, what do we know about Artemis? Other language word would be Diana, right, in Ephesus. So here was a world power. This is what they viewed as the God that ruled the Ephesians. Until the real God showed up in Ephesus, right? And the power of the gospel are the only God that exists. So it it could be world powers, i.e. Artemis or other gods that Paul is referring to. Why? Because of what's in the background of the Ephesians. So he says to them, world powers. And then he says, of this darkness. And reminds them and us that this is the world powers of Darkness. The domain in which they exercise their influence is the domain of darkness. This darkness, folks, is in opposition to the light. It is in opposition to God. It is in opposition to truth. It is in opposition to righteousness. And whatever world powers there may be, their function, folks, is in the realm of darkness. Listen to Colossians 3, 1, 3, chapter 1, verse 13. This is a sister epistle. Notice you. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Aren't you thankful for that delivery? That that we're not in the kingdom of darkness because we've been transferred out of it all because of Jesus. And then he gives a fourth category. It's literally the spirituals. Spiritual forces of evil. The translation is the spirituals. And he describes them as spiritual forces of evil. John Stott says this, If we hope to overcome them, we should bear in mind that they have no moral principles, they have no code of honor, they have no higher feelings, they recognize no Geneva Convention. What would that mean? Well, you didn't have a Baptist business meeting and decide that we're going to be able to tell the demons how they should and shouldn't function. Right? There was no Geneva Convention to restrict or partially civilize the weapons that they have. They are utterly inscrupulous, and they're ruthless in their pursuit, and they're malicious in their designs. They are spiritual forces of wickedness. Is that good enough? That's my best stab at those four categories. All right? Then Paul tells us where they are. Y'all locked in? Where are they? In the heavenlies. In the heavenlies. It's another way of Paul saying in spiritual places. In other words, I'm trying to build on my division. It is a spiritual battle. The realm in which they function and operate is the spiritual world. It is not the realm of flesh and blood that we can see with our eyes and touch with our hands. 
It is the world that spiritual reality, it is the world that has spiritual realities where these eyes cannot see it and these hands cannot touch it. Now, did Paul have something to say to us about the heavenly places at another time that should cause your heart to swell with confidence and all your fears subside? Where have you been seated with him? Hello! In the heavenly places. Where were all of your blessings given to you? Before the foundation of the world in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've already won if you're a believer. Right? So, the powers are real. Here's the conclusion. They're real. They're personal. They're evil spirit beings who have power to influence in the spiritual realm. Now, is there systematic evil in this world? Do I need to give one of those, duh, right, to myself? Is there systematic evil in the world? Is there evil that exists politically? Yeah. Socially? In economic structures? Well, of course there is. In a fallen world, we have systematic evil throughout the entire world. Even in constitutional republics, which we're supposed to be, you have evil that permeates political and socioeconomic structures. It's a plain reality. Paul has, not, Paul has told us that behind all such evil, there, is a real, there are real personal evil forces. We see someone like a Hitler. We see someone like a Saddam Hussein, and we have to say, the dudes were demon-possessed. We have to say that. Why? How can anyone commit genocide and perpetrate such evil against humanity and not be filled with something? That was evil. Paul's point, however, is not to tell us to watch out for evil political structures or evil economic systems or evil social structures that oppress people. His point, Paul's point, is that no matter where evil is or the sin or where sin is fueled by evil, there is a real personal spiritual being and beings who are spiritual powers. And they are against the people of God. The powers are pervasive, ladies and gentlemen. They're not restricted. It is not like God says you can only function in the confines of communism. Don't believe that for a minute. It's everywhere. They are pervasive in their influence in this world and in your world. They're pervasive. Our struggle and our conflict are with wicked, evil, spiritual powers in the spiritual realm. You need to embrace what the Word of God teaches, folks. However, you need to have a sense of caution. Why? Because the last thing the Lord wants you to conclude is that there is a demon under every chair or that there's a demon hiding under every tree. To say that the war and the forces are pervasive is not to conclude that you should go off from this service with some kind of insane perspective in the way that demons work. The way we are called to fight is clear from this text. Stand firm in the armor of God, which he has already supplied for you. So these powers work in concert with something. Have you ever heard theologians refer to our three enemies? Can y'all tell me what they are? I'm waiting. What's the first one? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now... Let me tell you how you should not think about these powers that are against you. You should not think, well, on this front, I have these powers. And on this front, I have the flesh. And on this front, I have the world. 
This is not the way the enemy works. I want to tell you, he's a smart devil. He's brilliant. He's sophisticated. And in it, how does he actually work out his work against you that's usually more covert than overt? Well, he works through the world and the flesh. See it all together. Ephesians 2.1 gives us this pattern. Listen to it. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like all of mankind. Do you see how it's intertwined? With the enemy fueling it, right? That's, he fuels the lust of the flesh. He wants you to walk in the course of this world. And again, it's important to note that these powers or demonic forces, most of the time, do not work apart from the world and the flesh. So in other words, Christians, wake up. We wrestle just as much with these spiritual powers as you are fighting against the flesh and the world. They're all mingled together. Don't, don't think for a moment that when it says we do not struggle and we do not wrestle, that it is some kind of sensational manifestation that you will see. You'll miss this completely if that's what you're thinking on. The, you'll miss the brilliance of the enemy's fight against you, which is to work through the world and the flesh to get you to lose your confidence in Christ. He wants you to indulge in sin. He wants you to go headlong after the course of this world. So these powers are pervasive, but they work in concert with the world and the flesh. Here's something else I want to remind you of in this battle. The Lord Jesus Christ has defeated them. And even now they are subjected powers. Chapter 1 verse 22, I love this. And he put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church. They're under him. They're under subjection to him. So as, as believers, we share in that triumph now, right now. We share with him in the heavenly places. Where does Paul say that the powers operate? In the heavenly places. Where did we get all of our spiritual blessings from? From the Lord in the heavenly places. Where does Paul say that we've been seated with Christ? In the heavenly places. Chapter 2 verse 6. So even though the heavenly places is where the powers operate. This is where they carry out their schemes and strategies. Paul would remind you that that domain belongs to Jesus. It belongs to him. That domain is where we receive all of our spiritual blessings in Christ. So we share in his exaltation. We share in his enthronement. We share in his glory. And if you are in Christ, you've been delivered from the power and realm of darkness. Darkness, this darkness has no power over you. Ephesians 5, 8, you were darkness, but now you are light. Isn't that good? It has no power over you. We've been delivered from it, but it doesn't nullify the fact that we have a present conflict. And that conflict is in close Quarters combat. So this is a clarion call to recognize the nature and the dimension of the conflict that we're engaged in. And we need to appropriate what God has given us in this armor to resist the enemy. 
The command in verse 13 comes up like this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. What was the first way he said it? Put on. And now he uses different terminology. Take up the armor of God. And that moves me to the the final point today. We need to stand in the evil day. Take it up. Again, it's different than put on. It is take up so that you will be able to stand. The command to take up so that you can stand, listen to this church, is second person plural. In other words, when he says at this point, take up so that you can stand, he's talking to the whole body listening to the letter. He's not making this privatized or individualized at this point. Now, is there an emphasis on you, you being prepared and you taking up and you putting on? Absolutely. But at this point, it is second person plural. It means that we all have the responsibility to take up the armor of God and we all have the responsibility to stand. Is there a sense, again, where Paul is addressing individuals in the body? Yes. But we have to stand together as believers. Hear this. I want to remind you that this is corporate warfare. We can't help for one of you to be wobbly and not have a desire to stand. We have to see this. We are to offer up not only individual resistance because of our own personal struggles and temptations, but we also need unified resistance. The struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is not ultimately a battle against your wife, men, or husband, wives. It's not a battle that's ultimately against your kids. It's not ultimately against your belligerent co-worker. It's not against your nasty neighbor. And it's certainly not against fellow believers in this church. We need, all to, we need to all take up the armor of God together so that we'll be able to stand. The people right here. In this building, sitting around you, are in the same struggle that you are in. Stop and think about this. We are called to offer a unified resistance. You are not the only one in this battle. Now, the enemy wants you to think that. But it's all of our struggles together. The people sitting around you have more struggles than you could ever enumerate in your mind if you tried to do it. People around you have struggles What you think about them right now, they're probably thinking about you. And maybe even about the preacher. And if you're wondering, do I struggle? The answer is yes. Big time. Just like you do in this warfare. We're called to fight together, but we are also called to help each other fight. Do you notice that? Not only called to fight together, but help one another fight. Lay hold that this struggle is also... With the little sweet moms that you think have probably never sinned. You're wrong. And it's also with the men you see around this church that you know sin all the time. And yet they still have the struggle. It's for everybody in between those two categories. In this church, we all struggle. The person beside you has struggles. And they're battling the enemy every single day. That person has temptations. That person has afflictions, and they are in the heat of the battle right now if they're truly saved. You know, we often have the attitude in the church, what's wrong with that guy? Or what's wrong with that person? He or she just needs to get their act together, right? 
Instead of looking at one another and saying what's wrong with him, what's wrong with her, I wish they could get their act together. We need to have the attitude that says, that person's in the same fight I'm in. Right? That person's fighting struggles just like I am. The same struggles I have, they have. The struggle may be different, but I'm telling you, their struggle is just as intense. Their battles are just as real as your battles. We have a common enemy, folks. But we also have a common commander-in-chief. The Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the great shepherd. So don't fight each other. I almost laugh sometimes listening to people when they start complaining about others. And I say, here we go again. Haven't you read your Bible? Do y'all know that pastors sometimes laugh to ourselves when you bring stuff to us? I'm sorry. But, you know, I'm just thinking, what are you thinking? And then I'm like, you're not thinking, right? Because here we go again with the same thing. All the while, the devil really is laughing because you are misperceiving the real battle. It's immaturity in your spiritual life. So if the enemy can keep his name out of the news release, he wants to. If, you can, if he can get away with you blaming it on your wife, he's good with that, right? Uh, he's good with it, right? He's totally fine with us blaming it on everyone else but not giving the devil his due. Because ultimately, he wants you to forsake your devotion to Christ. Listen, folks, our enemy operates in the shadows. He's an expert in covert operations. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against but against these powers. So we need to help each other. Let's offer unified resistance as a church. I'm pleading with you. Unified resistance as a church. Understand we have a common enemy. Help each other in the fight of faith. Get the armor. Take it up and put it on. The idea here is to utilize and apply it so that you're able to resist. It doesn't look glorious to stand still, does it? I mean, we want to go forward. I mean, give me a spear. But the terminology is for you to be fully armed, right? And for you to resist and for you to stand. And the Bible says, resist the devil, draw near to God, resist the devil, and he, he flees and you win, right? He flees. This is not some kind of peaceful and passive resistance. This is warfare where you have to dig in your heels and you're not going to let the enemy take ground. So here's what we need to say. Lord, I need divine power. I need your strength. And by the way, it's already your strength because it's Christ's strength in you. Father, you've promised to give me the power to resist. So let's not only say it individually. Let's lock arms together as a body of Christ. When the enemy does come against us, we lock arms. Here's what I know. If you come running at me, if I'm by myself, then you could probably knock me back. But if I got a lot of mass, no pun intended, but if I'm locked together with a lot of folks in this church, it's going to be a lot harder for him to knock us over. We, we need to come together in mass, right? We need to stand together, lock arms together, and not be moved. Let's lay hold of how important it is for us to fight the battle as believers. Listen to John Stott. Wobbly Christians who have no firm foothold in Christ are easy prey for the devil. Christians who shake like weeds cannot resist the wind when principalities and powers begin to blow. Paul wants to see Christians so strong, 
so stable that they remain firm even against the devil's wiles. And then he says, are you a wobbly Christian? Or are you firm because you are strong in the Lord and you have your arms locked with other believers? Lastly, Paul says, evil day. You guessed it. When you see evil day, how many scholars disagree on what that means? A lot of them, right? But here's the deal. It could be Galatians 1. I know I'm moving rapidly, but listen. Galatians 1 verse 4. The Bible says, Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Could refer to that. How about Ephesians 5, 15? Um, Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as of wise people, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So it could refer to the last days between the ascension of Christ and his second coming. Or it could mean all of these are situational days. In other words, you need to be ready for that one particular day or multiple days in a calendar year where the onslaught of the enemy is going to come at you with full force. What do y'all think that means? Which one do y'all think it is? Well, I think it's both. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that we're living in an evil day. Is the day between Christ's ascension into heaven and his second coming evil? Well, absolutely. Are there some specific days when the enemy comes after us? You better believe it. I don't view every day as equally uh, assaultive, whatever you want to say. Maybe it's not the right word, whatever. The assault of the enemy is coming after me. I don't feel that equally every day. Do y'all? I don't feel like every day is quite as dangerous as another one. Yet one of the fundamental principles of warfare is when you least expect it, that's when you should expect it, right? John Owen made this statement, when you least feel the presence and pull and the power of darkness, it is at that point most prevalent. I felt this as I've been preparing these sermons. I've sensed this in church life as I have been preaching on this particular material. And there's, not a, there's a reason for that. The enemy doesn't want us to give the truth regarding him. So it feels as if the devil has nothing else to do except unleash everything he could possibly do upon me and maybe even upon you at certain days. And when you have those days, you're fighting and you're on guard. It's like, can't let my guard down because I know what's going to happen. You feel as if you take a break. You're going to to get an avalanche of the enemy upon your life. And I would certainly characterize those days as evil. Evil days or an evil day. However, listen close. I think the most dangerous day is when things seem to be going very well. It's those days that we need to remember that our enemy does not take a vacation. Okay? So there's certainly a truth that's out there that when you least expect it, You can expect it. It may be a day of temptation. It may be an hour of temptation. It may be a time of extraordinary affliction where the devil is simply trying to undermine your confidence in Christ. When when those concentrated attacks are coming against your faith, how about this? When those concentrated attempts are coming against your obedience to Christ, and what does he do? He wants you to think that it's not a lot of joy. There's not a lot of fulfillment in obedience. He wants you to think that, oh, no, the real enjoyment is just to go off and do what I'm asking you to do. But we know that real joy is only found in Christ. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Jesus. We have that desire to be satisfied in him. 
So he concentrates that attack not only on your obedience, but how about your love for the Lord? That's an evil day, folks, when he's trying to get you to concentrate on everything you can possibly concentrate other than how much you're loved through Christ. So take up the armor and stand. If sometimes, if, look, folks, it's, it screams to us you've got to be ready, right? It screams to us that you can't run and grab the armor after you're already sunk. There's some preparation that has to take place. Are your boots in a place where you can put them on quickly? You know, that's going to be one of the pieces of armor, right? This means you, yeah. Is it in a place where you can be ready? This is certainly not what we've heard through the ages. Just let go and let God. Don't you hate that? <laughs> Just let go and let God. No, this is be strengthened. This is be prepared. This is do your duty. This is stand ready for warfare. Take up the armor and do everything you can do to stand. Do everything you can to resist the powers of darkness. If you live like that, you may actually teach the world that Christianity is a fight. Hmm. J.C. Ryle lived from 1816 to 1900. That was a long time to live back then, wasn't it? Right? Here's what he said. Now think about this. He said this at the beginning of the 17th. Uh, yeah, of the 19th. 1816. Right? To 1900. Here's what he said. True Christianity is a fight. Let us mind that word true. There is a vast quantity of religion in this world that is not true Christianity. I wonder if J.C. Ryle lived in our day. Right? Yeah. It passes muster and it satisfies sleepy consciences, but it's not good money. It's not the real thing that was called Christianity 1,800 years ago. Well, why did you say it like that? Because he was living in 1800s, Okay. There are thousands of men and women who go to chapels and to church services every Sunday who call themselves Christians. Their names are in the baptismal registry. They were married in the church with a Christian marriage service. And they mean to be buried Christian when they die. In other words, they come for two reasons. Right? To have rice thrown on them and dirt. Right? I mean, J.C. Ryle didn't say that I did. All right. Listen, but you never see any fight about their religion. Folks, I hope you're listening to this. Ryle says you never see any fight about their religion. He said if there is not some fight about your religion of spiritual strife and assertion and conflict and self-denial and watching and warring, you know nothing of Christianity. Such Christianity may satisfy man... And those who say anything against it may be thought to be very unkind and uncharitable. But it's certainly not the Christianity of the Bible. It is not the religion which the Lord Jesus founded and his apostles preached. It is not the religion that produces real holiness. Why? Because true Christianity is a fight. Church family, please for the sake of your own soul and for the sake of this body, realize that we are in a fight. It's a spiritual battle. We must stand firm and we have to resist. <clears throat> Lord, we just want to be quiet before you. 
and just contemplate what we've heard, what we've read from the scriptures. Just to think about your servant, J.C. Ryle. Lord, if our people are not familiar with his quotes and his writings, we need to get familiar with them. Lord, help us to think about it, Lord. If we're not engaged in a fight, there is a real good chance that we're lost. If we're not aware of the enemy, there's a chance that we're saved, just unaware. God awaken people to the real battle. We, we just coast through life and it, we, we never have our spiritual antennas up to think about this. But you are speaking to us from your word today. This is your holy word. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its historics are true. And its decisions are changeless. This is your holy word. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration. And is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished. We need this as men and women of God in order to be thoroughly furnished. To think about that we have an enemy and his adversaries and his emissaries. Lord, his demonic forces are against us. Help us, Lord God, to stand. Not only individually, but also as a church body. Father, if there's someone who is lost today, let them hear those words echo in their mind. You delivered us out of the dominion of darkness. And you transferred us into the kingdom of your son who you love. God, help them realize that if they're lost and they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation, then they are currently in the domain of darkness. God, would you rescue them? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Let's turn our eyes to our heavenly commander, King Jesus. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes to the hillside. Turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy embrace. There the Son of God gave his life for us and our measureless debt was erased. Jesus, to you we live. Turn your eyes to the morning and see Christ the lion awake. What a glorious dawn, fear of death is gone, for we carry him.
life in our veins. Jesus, Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to all right, Ryan and Christy, this is Ryan, come on up. This is Ryan and Christy Rush, and I guess all you, like me, thought they were already church members, right? Because they've been with us so long. But Story and Slater and Uzi are their children, and Story's already made a profession of faith. We baptized her here, so she'll be joining along with Mom and Dad. Uh, they've already taken our new members class. They passed the test, amen? Uh, no, I don't know if y'all know the story, but... I lost my passport, and I couldn't go to Guatemala last year. Within 24 hours or less, Ryan got a call from Blake and said, hey, you want to go? And you usually can't do that on a plane, but God worked it out so Ryan could go and take my place. So I'm so thankful for that, right? I lose my passport, but he gets to go to Guatemala. It all worked out great. Amen. God is good. So they want to stand before you and tell you that they're the newest members of our church family, and we want to... Welcome them to our church. Amen. All right. I'll have you go back there with Don, and we'll greet you going out. Um, I had something on my mind. Oh, yes. Next week, we will begin to look into the specific parts of the armor that we are to employ. Okay? So some of you who just were ready for that part and wanted to skip the enemy, well, you can't. But let's uh, put the armor on, so that'll be next week. If you have been a part of our visitation team, and you would be willing to go and visit some of our recent visitors to our church, um, when you leave the church, out in the commons, there are some cards. You can pick it up and keep it all week. You can even go visit them and write stuff down and take a picture of it and send it to Don, right? And so, in other words, we want to get into the homes of the people who are visiting our church. And if you want to grab one of those cards... You can do it in the commons on the way out. Don has it set up for you. All right? Are y'all in a hurry to go anywhere? I mean, I thought about preaching three or four sermons and going like to five o'clock and just to see what kind of mass exodus we would have. All right. Well, God bless you. Love your church family, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Hey, let me just make a clarification in the bulletin. By the way, I said something about people wearing red. I hope I didn't offend anybody. There were a couple of misguided folks wearing green and, and you know, up. Uh, Still, but uh, the the uh, Vintage Voices, we Vintage Voices Senior Adult Choir, we start this Tuesday morning at ten thirty. So that wasn't in the bulletin; should have been. Sorry about that. God bless you. Have a great day.